Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. So, Peter, I think I need a catchphrase. Uh, like, hi, I'm Mike, and I'm here with Peter. Well, now, usually I do something like, hey, 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 but that's sort of Fat Albert-ish. And, you know, I was listening to Every Night is Game Night, and Jason has his, hey, my peoples, or what's up, my peoples. Yeah, hey, my peoples, what's up, I think is what he has. Yeah, like, what is our catchphrase? How do people know that it's us without us saying our names? I kind of like the Fat Albert analogy, though. It's like, sit down, relax. You might even learn a thing or two before we're done. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, we're, we're bringing it back old school. All right, so let's try it. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. What's up, my peoples? No, that that wasn't it. That was, no. that was terrible. <laughs> that, was just, that was just stealing his thing. Jeez. Hey, uh, hey, you, hey, it's Mike, right. and we're, we're here on Co-op Cast. <laughs> nice. All right, so with that out of the way, hopefully this isn't anybody's first episode, but I'm sure it is. Somebody's first episode, you mean? I'm sure somebody's first episode will be this one, so I apologize for our wacky intro. We have scared you away forever. (laughs) So this week, we're going to be talking about Deep Madness. Yeah, this is uh, one from Dimension Games, and yes, it is Dimension. They added an E in there just to make it more horrific, and it's a, a bit of a dungeon crawler, so we'll be digging into that. And then our design discussion afterwards will be on how dungeon crawlers and kind of tactical miniature games use uh, maps and boards in different ways. But before we get started, we have a couple of people we want to thank. Yeah, so for those who uh, don't know, we do have a PayPal set up. It's in the podcast notes. And this is for both the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel as well as our podcast. And we've had uh, some donations in the last couple of weeks. So big thank you to... Jan and Patrick. Yeah, so thank you both so much. And anybody else, if you uh, like what you're hearing, feel free to contribute something. Uh, No need. We'll always record our great content regardless. But if you want to help us with our equipment and stuff, we really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you also to anybody who has gone over to iTunes and rated and reviewed the podcast. It really does help people find our content. All right, without further ado, Peter is going to tell us a bit about the theme of Deep Madness. Deep Madness is kind of a mixed theme, so it's an underwater Cthulhu-themed game where you are basically going into a mining facility where something went wrong, and so you're discovering the horrors below. So it's kind of like Bioshock meets Cthulhu Dungeon Crawl. And how the game is played, so it's a one to six players, but you always control between four and six characters. You just kind of split them up depending on how many players you're playing with. And the players and the monsters, you'll have six monster types dealt randomly at the beginning of the game. They alternate activations. So one character will activate, and then one monster will activate all those monsters of that type. So you go back and forth between those activations. On a hero's turn, they get three actions, more sometimes if you're playing with fewer heroes. And it's pretty basic. You can move. It's kind of an area-based Gears of Wars-ish movement system. You can attack if you have a weapon, ranged weapons or melee weapons. You can rest to get your sanity back, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And you can also do some other things like closing doors, picking up items, searching for new items from the item deck. 
And what you're doing in your turn is generally, it's an objective-based game, so fighting the monsters usually won't actually win you the mission. It's all about reaching something or finding clues or running away from something, that kind of stuff, a pretty good variety of missions. So you're trying to complete your objectives while fighting against the monsters. And then when the monsters activate, they have very simple AI. It's like move, do something special, and then attack. Often they each have some kind of special characteristic about them. And you alternate those activations, trying to get away from them. And they are spawning every turn, but their spawns are somewhat randomized. And they only spawn in parts of the board that have been corrupted, but more and more parts of the board become devoured and corrupted over the course of the game. So the spawning can kind of come from all directions sometimes. That's kind of like the main thing of the game. And and when you do attacks and when you like resolve things, you have these custom dice, one through six, but with success symbols on the five and the six. And things will usually tell you what you need for a success or just tell you the success symbol counts as a success. You do have this sanity, as I mentioned, that lets you re-roll dice and also use special abilities, both on weapons and on your unique characters. And you lose the game if any character dies. You have to keep everybody alive. You also lose the game if you run out of time. There is this little track that both determines what events happen and how many people spawn. And you win the game if you can complete whatever the mission defines as your objective. You know, reaching this place with these clues or killing this boss monster, that kind of stuff. So if this is your first time joining us, welcome. And what we do is we have a top five list. So we both talk about our top five things we think you should know about the game, starting with our number five, which is the least important thing, and going all the way to our number one, which we think is the most important thing to know about the game. So Mike, why don't you get started? What is your number five thing to know about Deep Madness? My number five, which is a pro, is how the theme is handled in the game. Now, I'll say, first of all, you described it really well as a mix between, like, kind of Bioshock and Cthulhu. And Bioshock is one of my favorite video games of all time. For people who don't know, it's this kind of, like, dystopian underwater society that you're going into and discovering all these mysteries. And it's it's this crazy game. But the combination of Cthulhu and underwater is, is just really neat. It's something I've never thought of before. Because they've done Cthulhu on Earth. They've done Cthulhu in space. But, you know, never underwater, and it's a slightly different take, and the water gets used in kind of cool ways, which we will talk about later. But also, the actual writing of the game is pretty good. They have pretty well-done narrative before each mission, when you finish each mission. And I will say this is not a campaign-based game, so each mission can be played separately, but there is a continuing narrative as you play through the missions, which is a nice touch. You will tell a complete story if you work through all the missions in the game. And then also the theme is very strong in the cards themselves. You get flavor text on these madness cards. That's very disturbing. You get uh, backstories on the back of every single character card. And kind of a really cool touch that doesn't actually get used that much during my gameplays, but I still really respect the choice, is that they have these consciousness cards that you only get when you defeat a monster without going insane from fighting that monster which again will come up later because there's a lot of mechanics in this game. But you get these cards, and what they are is basically identical to the journal entries or audio logs that a lot of first-person atmospheric shooters like Bioshock have in the game. And so if you want to, as you read all these logs, you get a sense for what the heck happened at this underwater station before you and all your friends arrived. So it's just a really cool, like, totally extraneous thing that... 
you know, you probably won't read too many of in game because it can take too long and kind of slow down the pace of the game. But the fact that it exists and they know exactly what kind of world they wanted to create and they know the exact backstory of everything going on, I really respect that and think it does add to the fun horror feel of the game overall. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we overlap on these lists and I don't know, I had like 15 or 20 things I could have put down for Deep Madness, but this didn't make my list. But yes, I totally agree. The story just really comes out in the cards. I totally agree with you, though. I don't read any of those consciousness cards or the madness cards when they come up. I just read what the effects are. But I'm sure for some groups, they're going to love that and they're really going to get more entrenched in the theme by reading those. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I mean, I switch off on what I read and what I don't. But again, just like the fact that it is there when I want to read it, awesome. And they do a good job of separating it too. So you know what the rule text is and you know what the fluff text is. So you don't have to read through it if you don't want to. That's a great point because there are some games that do not do that well. And it's like, it's kind of like a game we've been playing recently, Detective, where it's very hard to actually find the important information on a card. They kind of blend it in with other stuff. So glad they don't do that here. Yeah, absolutely. My number five is the alternating actions that you mentioned earlier. I really love how they do this. So every time you're getting six characters. So in a two-player game, you're each controlling three. In a three-player game, you're each going to control two characters. So what I'll do is I'll make sure to space them out. So let's say it's me, Mike, and Jerry playing. If my character comes out first and then the second character I draw is mine again, I'll put mine three spaces down. So there's a room for Mike and Jerry's. And then I'll draw another character. Let's say it's Mike's. And then Jerry's comes up. And then Jerry's comes again. I won't put Jerry's right after mine. I'll put Jerry's at the end. So that way, there's a constant cycling around the table that keeps the pacing good so that way you have a little bit of time to think about what your next action is you certainly don't have to do it but that's a little thing i've done for myself but i just like how it goes back and forth you act then a group of monsters act then you act then a group of monsters act and your activations are pretty short but the monsters activations are really short a lot of times and so because of that it constantly keeps you feeling involved in the game even in like three player count games that I've played. So I love alternating activations. I love how it keeps you involved always in the game. And so I really think it's clever how they did it here. Yeah. And I'll talk about this a bit more later, but I'll also call out a compliment to the tactical thought that comes out of this activation system, because you can see exactly who's going to activate before and after which characters, which influences like what you defeat or what you run away from. You can really plan ahead to, how you will deal with the monsters that are activating. So Mike, what's your number four? So my number four is a bit of a mix, and it's the devour mechanic in the game. I would mentioned this briefly in the rules summary, but the board starts out somewhat devoured, which means basically each board tile has like a nice-looking side, and then this freaky aliens invading our world, like twisted mythos, bloody, yucky side that's called the devoured side. And some tiles start out devoured at the beginning of the game, but then pretty much every turn you flip another tile and that becomes devoured as well. And each devoured space has a spawn token on it that can spawn more monsters from it. So on the positive side, having the room slowly get devoured really adds some dynamic like tension and tactics to the game because you... First of all, from playthrough to playthrough, the monsters are going to spawn very differently. In some games, they might mostly be coming from behind you. In other games, they might mostly be coming from in front of you. So it does give kind of a nice replayability to the game. Also, visually, it's cool to see the stations slowly becoming more and more twisted by the event that's happening. On the negative side, which makes it mixed, and this is a little bit nitpicky, 
But first of all, it is a little bit annoying to actually flip over the tiles because there's a lot of miniatures in this game and a lot of tokens. So having to like pick up, you know, <laughs> six different miniatures on a tile, flip the tile over, then try to remember where they were and put them back, just slightly annoying. What I find more annoying is that every single space except for the spawn space in a room tile that gets devoured has these little devour tokens, which might only be one per tile but can be up to like three or four per tile. They change up the tactics of the game because they each have little effects when you're standing on that part of the room, so they do make you think about things more. That's fine. But they're very small, kind of hard to see what they are, and not obvious what their effect is just by looking at the token. You have to cross-reference with a little chart. So they just kind of slow down the game and become very fiddly for me. So again, it's minor. I would say four trends towards pro for me, but there are some negatives in there with the devouring mechanic as well. Well, another one that's not on my list. I agree with everything you've said. The one cool thing for me is that sometimes when you have these room boards and they're double-sided, you can't tell which side is which. It's very obvious when you flip it over. The devoured side is much more red in hue than the normal side, which is more like white or like metal tinted. So it's very obvious if it's on a devoured side or not, not just by the artwork, but also the general color of the tile itself. So I really like that. The reason the devour tokens didn't make my list is I don't play with them. And that's one thing I'm going to put at the end here as far as tips and tricks. The game is hard enough as it is. It doesn't need this devour token mechanic. I agree. It's fiddly. They're small. They get in the way. I think it would be a good advanced variant once you're good at the game or you can beat the game, you know, three quarters of the time, whatever. Sure, you want to increase the difficulty, put them in. But the difficulty... I believe, and I'll get into this later, is a little high. So I don't play with the Devour Token, so that's why that part of it doesn't bother me as much. As far as moving miniatures off, it's a little annoying, but I thought it was going to be way more annoying than it was, and it really didn't bother me by the end. Man, I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how somebody could win this game 75% of the time <laughs> playing the rules as written. Yeah, well, I mean, without the Devour Tokens, I think it does make a pretty substantial change in the difficulty level from almost unbeatable to a game I'm having fun with. But again, we're getting more into to thoughts for later. So, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so go ahead, Peter. What's your number four? Sure. So my number four is that each scenario in this game is unique. The game itself could be all about, you know, there are a lot of games like this that are all about killing monsters. And there are a lot of games that even claim to have unique scenarios, but they don't feel unique. I think Street Masters did a good job of making each scenario unique, and I think this game does as well. And as you're saying, there's enough random elements that even playing through the same scenario is going to feel different each time. And kind of going back to what you said earlier, it's not a campaign game, even though if you want to get the whole story, you certainly want to play them in order. But if you really like one of the missions, you can happily play that one over and over. In fact, you could skip ahead, jump around however you want. And I really think they do a good job of feeling different from mission to mission. They even add some stuff later on where you've got to do actions that you don't normally do just to kind of change it up a little bit. So I like that. Yeah, totally agree with that one. Uh, I think they did a good job with the variety. So my number three, I had mentioned previously that you're underwater and it's a new theme, but they also bring it to life mechanically and in a way I love. This is a big pro for me. And that's the oxygen system. So basically, in each mission, some parts of the board will be flooded just with this little blue like water token. And every time you do any action in a flooded space, each character has this little oxygen wheel and you spin it down one each time you take an action in a flooded space. 
And once you get below zero into the negatives, you always have a chance of taking damage. Not automatic damage, but a pretty good chance of taking damage with each action you do. If you go too low, you can die. And you have to end your turn outside of a flooded space. End your turn. Not just move out, but end your turn outside a flooded space to reset your oxygen, to really get a good breath of air. So it it leads to these really tense, tactical, kind of push-your-luck decisions. Like, do I stay down here to kill off these monsters who are really going to be a headache later? Do I stay down in the water to try to reach that objective that's just out of reach? But if I go too far, am I going to be taking so much damage or even potentially die on my way back out of the water? It's super tense, super fun, perfect realization of the setting and the theme, and, you know, again, a unique setting. I mean, I guess it could have been out of outer space and you were, like, holding your breath out in the outer space-like realms of things, but, yeah, I love the way they did oxygen in the game. Yeah, no, I agree, and again, something that didn't make my list. I don't know, this might be the first time we have no overlap on our list. The oxygen didn't make your list? Gosh, that's such a huge mechanic in the game. I'm telling you, there are so many things in this game that, yeah, there are a lot of them that should have been on the list that just weren't. There's there's just a lot. But my number three is actually the randomness in the game, and this is my first one that's leaning toward con, but still mixed for me. If you don't like randomness, though, you're not going to like this game. There's a lot of dice. You're rolling to hit for everything. When you do a search, you only get one search per turn. Sometimes when you search, you find weapons. Now, it's not zombie side level like this weapon is ridiculous and this weapon is the worst thing you'll ever see. There aren't that much variety between the weapons, but it's still, you could get a weapon or you could get something that lets you heal three damage. Well, if you're not hurt, that item doesn't really help you very much. And certainly early in the game, you where you want to get weapons, the other day we were playing and we got a lot of these searches early on and we weren't finding any weapons at all. Now, the way they mitigate that a little is everybody can search once on their turn and you can trade items between people and you're probably going to want to do that anyway, because certainly... Based on the characteristics of the person, some people are better with some weapons than others, and I really like how they did that too. So, there is a lot of randomness, there is a lot of luck in the game, just know that going in. If you don't like those kind of games, you probably won't like it. For me, I did like it, I like the tension it added to the game, I like that there is a huge puzzle to be solved in the game, like Mike was saying earlier with the intermingled activations. A lot of times you're like, okay, I need to accomplish this before this person goes, or I want to clear this way out, or these two people should go this way because they're activating near each other, or one of them will be able to take care of the monsters down there because they're going before them. So there is a lot of thought that goes into that, but the randomness and luck can always rear its ugly head. Now, I do like what they did with Sanity here, where they let you re-roll a dice for each Sanity spent. So that gives you at least three or four re-rolls a lot of times. So you have a pretty good idea of how much of a risk you're taking going into an action. Although, of course, luck can still turn out against you. Yeah, I mean, totally agree. It didn't bother me too much, especially with the Sanity mitigation. But yeah, it's it's definitely a heavily dice-based game, and a lot of things you only succeed on a 5 or a 6, so it's not like you're always succeeding at actions. In fact, the very first mission, which I, (laughs) going back to the difficulty, I only beat on my sixth play of it. To accomplish the objective, you have to have decent luck with multiple, multiple rolls to recover these clues. So yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, so what's your number two? My number two is another mixed, and that's a bit of a combination. It's both the activation system we already talked about, but also how the monsters are activated themselves. 
So we already talked about like the alternating activation. I find that to be generally a pro. I like the tactical choice it gives. Additionally, I tend to like the way the monsters activate. They have a very simple AI. They always, unless indicated otherwise, move towards the closest player. And if it's a tie, you pick which way they go. Some people will move twice. Some people will only move once. Uh, some of them have special powers. Some of them have special powers that activate on a die roll. Some of them have just really high attack. They have different range. You have a great deal of variety in the monsters. And one of the coolest things, I'm kind of cheating here because this is sort of a third point. One of the coolest things is that you pick six random monsters at the beginning of each mission. Now, with the core game, you only have eight regular monsters plus some like mini bosses you can throw in for more variety if you really want to suffer. But once you add in at least one expansion, you can just put all your monsters together and randomly draw six each time you play. So it, again, gives crazy variety for how a mission plays out because of the uh, difference in the monsters. Because they are very different in their special abilities and how they play out. The negative side of this, you mentioned Zombicide earlier, and this game is... Definitely like the combat system and the weapons are similar to Zombicide. The other unfortunate thing for me that's similar to Zombicide is that a lot of guys spawn every turn. And you can have a ton of miniatures, especially if they're spawning like way ahead of you or way behind you or you don't have enough good weapons to fight them much yet. You can have a ton of people on the board. And when you get to moving like mid to late game, activating all these enemies, even though each individual activation is incredibly quick, like move a guy, maybe roll a die for an attack it still can take a long time just because there can be so many guys. And it, again, reminded me of Zombicide where you're like moving 30 zombies and trying to remember which ones you've already moved. So again, mostly a pro. I like the way the activations and the enemy AI and the variety works, but don't love having to deal with that many miniatures sometimes. Yeah, I'm going to get to a lot of your points because you did put a lot of things in there. So uh, I'm going to get to some of them coming up later on, although I, I definitely had more of a favorable spin on them than you did. Well, go ahead. What's your number two? But my number two is increasing tension. I love games that start off simple and increase with tension as it goes on. Yes, you have six unique enemies every game. You're going to have six heroes, which as you get expansions, you're really going to have a a decent choice of heroes to go from. You are going to have these devoured effects if you choose to play with them. So there could be a lot of complexity at the beginning of the game with all these different enemies and with all your different characters with their powers, plus the stage, you have to do different things each time, and so there's some complexity with that. But at the beginning of the game, it is very simple. You don't have to know what any of that stuff does. Until those monsters spawn, I don't even bother looking at their cards. Unless you have an enemy that is close to you, you really don't need to know what it does. Sometimes when it does its special ability, it'll it'll have an effect even if it's not near you, but a lot of times it doesn't. And you're not typically going to spawn that many enemies on the first turn. So by the time the middle of the game comes around, you've probably seen one or two of the enemies. Then you get to learn one or two more. So... Not only does the tension increase as the game goes on, but the complexity increases as the game goes on too. I think that's why it doesn't bother me as much as some of these games where you have a bunch of complexity that gets out at the beginning of the game and you have to learn all these different special rules. With this game, the complexity increases as the game goes on and so does the tension. So you mentioned the drowning mechanic. That's just one of it where you're pushing your luck. How much time do you want to spend underwater? A lot of times you think you're going to be clear. Okay, next turn I'll just come out and then some stuff will spawn or stuff will move in on you and then you got to take extra actions and that drowning really 
you start building up some fear there. Not only your characters building up fear, but you yourself, because you're like, uh-oh, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this water before I drown. So I like the increased tension there. I like how, as the game goes on, there are very few enemies on the board at the beginning of the game, as you were saying, but more and more come on by the end of the game. One game, in Mission 2, I thought I was going to blow it away. There was like three enemies on the board after the third round of the game. I'm like, oh, I'm killing this thing. By the end of the game, though, because we're running and trying to accomplish the mission, we weren't killing that many enemies. The board was filled, and I was really worried we weren't going to be able to get out. And then there's the timer itself. So this game definitely constantly pushes you to move forward. So you're fighting against not only the monsters, not only the mission, but also the timer. And so... All of that leads to the game getting more and more tense as it goes on, complexity going up as it goes on, but it doesn't feel like complexity is going up because you already have seen those things back when the game was easier and there wasn't as much to deal with. So for me, I like how every game scales and scales not only in complexity, but in tension as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I'll talk about that a bit more in uh, final thoughts in a bit. But my number one, another uh, big pro, I love this. So, a lot of Cthulhu-themed games, and I'm thinking mainly of the Fantasy Flight ones, like Arkham Horror, LCG, Eldritch Horror, that kind of stuff, they often have health and sanity, and this game does too, but in the Fantasy Flight games, usually sanity will be just an alternative health tracker. So, like, you can be defeated by losing all your health, or by losing all your sanity. How sanity works in this game is a lot more like uh, something like stamina in Imperial Assault or Descent where you can spend it as a resource and then use an action to get it all back. So that doesn't seem that clever. We did mention that Sanity lets you reroll any die roll, so that's kind of nice. It lets you accomplish your tasks or really like make sure you defeat an enemy when you want to spend some stuff. So I love the resource management side of things. But they don't stop there. They find a way that I find more clever than most of the Fantasy Flight games' treatment of Sanity. They find a way to make the Sanity very thematic, even while it's just a resource. So whenever you defeat a monster, monsters have this horror rating. And this goes to some of my favorite games in this theme, like uh, the video game Eternal Darkness, where like just facing these creatures is driving you slightly insane, because you're not supposed to be seeing giant tentacled beasts trying to eat your face all over the place. So every time you defeat one of these monsters, if you've got some sanity on your card because you've spent it, then you flip it to its madness side, and it becomes this madness token. And if you get three of those, you discard all of them, so you lose the three madness, but you have to draw a madness card, which we already mentioned has this great disturbing flavor text on it, but also often has a permanent effect either on you or on some of the monsters, so it like has like a really kind of tough bite to it. It's just so clever, like kind of the resource management and tactical choice of dealing with your sanity and managing that resource, but then also worrying about going crazy and actually like taking penalties from it by defeating monsters unless you think about how you do it. So it's a perfect marriage, which again, I already said with the drowning mechanic, this game has a lot of this. It's a perfect marriage of theme and interesting mechanics to create a really engaging tactical experience while also totally bringing you into this horror setting. So just love this. It's one of my favorite uh, kind of resource management aspects to a, a dungeon crawler or miniatures game I played in a while. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And ironically, that's not on my list at all. It's funny. <laughs> Again, we usually have a lot of overlap. And I think we did have some overlap in some places where maybe we combined some things. Yeah, yeah. But that that should tell you how much is going on in this game. We really didn't have very much overlap at all. Although my number one you did mention is part of your like three-part number three, I think. 
But my number one is the enemy activations. I think this system is brilliant. It's so simple. There's only three possible things the enemies can do. They can either move, they can attack, or they can do their special ability. And it's very clear on the card what the characters are doing. So again, it's usually move, move, attack, or special, and then move. Or sometimes it's just they do their special ability. I would have liked the cards to be broken out a little clearer as far as what is special ability text versus what is their attack action text versus what is always on text. It's very clear when you're looking at it, but I almost wish they had color-coded it or something different just to make it stand out so you go, okay, I'm attacking now or I'm moving now, or hey, pay attention to this when you're moving because there are some enemies that are on the board that when you move next to them, something happens. I wish that was called out a little bit better, but I still think it's very clear. Some of the games don't do that very well, and it's just like this wall of text, like do this, then do this, then do this. And the thing I love about this game is... I don't have to worry about that. If I'm moving the enemy, I know I'm just moving them one space. Their movement path is very simple. And in fact, a lot of times, I won't even look at what enemies do until I get close to them. So if I see they move and they attack for two dice and their range is zero and I see that they're more than one space away from me and I know they're only moving once, I won't even bother looking at what that enemy does because it doesn't really matter. And that's what I mean by increasing complexity too. It's very easy to, at a glance, see what's going on at the state of the board because these enemy activations are so simple and so intuitive to me. And one last point about it. I know for you, you said you didn't like moving all the enemies at once, but it's very different from Zombicide in the fact that in Zombicide, there's an enemy phase where they all move. But here with the alternating activations, you're only activating one group of monsters at a time. So you're just activating the star spawn or you're just activating this other group of monsters. And so you're not having to deal with a million enemies at once. You're dealing with a small group, a small group, a small group. And another benefit of that for alternating activations is... Sometimes you won't even have an enemy group to activate between your two heroes that you activate. So I just really love how monster activation works in the game. That's great. So before we get to our final thoughts, uh, we did have on our Slack, we called out for questions about Deep Madness. So we're going to read and respond to a few of those. And if people like this uh, feature, we might do this in some future deep dive reviews. So, Peter, I actually don't know what these are. You're the one who pulled out the questions. So what were some of the things people wanted to know about the game? Yeah, so Kent Changar from the Slack asks, Endless spawning, deep madness, or fixed enemies, Gloomhaven, pros and cons? Mmm. <laughs> that could be a whole design discussion by itself. I'll get into it because I had a little time to think about it. So, for me, I think this is the one thing I really like about Deep Madness. It goes along with that growing tension. The one thing I think Gloomhaven lacked for me is that growing tension. As you go into a room, it's just going to spawn a certain number of enemies. Yes, you have a little bit of a timer with your cards depleting as the game goes on, but this endless spawning, I know it's a little bit of a con for you. And I actually thought it was going to be a con when I first started playing. I'm like, really? You have to flip like five cards and like spawn guys on all these places? But as I've played it, actually, when I play it, as long as you have two people doing it, one person to flip over the cards, the other person kind of placing the monsters, it really goes not that long. And I love what it does as far as increasing tension as the game goes on. So I really do like the spawn-as-you-go each round method, personally. I can see it both ways. I think Gloomhaven's a brilliant design. I think Deep Madness is a really strong design, too. If a game is objective-based and not just defeating all the monsters, I think you can go either way and potentially be successful. 
I think sometimes you need the constant spawning to push you to the monsters because maybe it's too easy to kill them otherwise, and then you can just kind of do the obvious thing of killing them all and then completing the objective. But sometimes it is nice to have sort of a tangible enemy that you can make the tactical choice to beat down before you go and, like, do whatever you need to do. Now, of course, if the point of the game is to kill everybody, then you need to have the Gloomhaven style. Like, a lot of Gloomhaven missions are just to feed all the monsters, and there you go. You can't have a constant spawn with that, or it would be way too frustrating. So I I can see it being good either way, and, and it works well for some games. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. I think it, you're right, it, it has to do with the theme, and I think this theme really pushes it to do a uh, constant spawn. That way the tension is increasing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it totally fits into the Cthulhu-like mythos where you're not supposed to be people who can actually fight this monstrosity. You just have to escape or outsmart it, you know? Yeah, so his next question is, hitting on a 5+, if I remember correctly from Mike's video, an outdated combat resolution mechanism or not? <laughs> Um, I will say personally, I'm at the point now where I prefer games where hitting is more likely. So like we reviewed Street Masters recently, and that one you hit five-sixths of the time and even get something on that one other side. I realize that with like really unlikely things, like games where like a six is some ridiculous result, that maybe it's more fun when you get like those really unusual results. But I tend to like my probability to be pretty straightforward, like I have a really good feeling of whether my guy's going to do it or not. When you have like dice that are pretty unlikely, like only hitting on a 1 out of 6 or a 2 out of 6, you can get into some negative territory. So I think Deep Madness still works really well, but I would have, I would not have minded if I was even rolling fewer dice, but had a better probability of hitting on average with each one. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start with that I don't mind dice combat at all. One of my favorite games of all time, Summoner Wars, has hitting on three pluses, and I really do like higher levels of success as well. But I also don't mind it here, because it's not hitting on five plus. A lot of weapons hit on three plus, hit on four plus. There's even a weapon that hits on three plus, and if you get five plus, if you get a success symbol, then you do more damage. So I think they do a pretty clever job of dealing with it. Really, what those successes a lot of times for are for either completing part of the mission or for defense. So when the enemy attacks, this is one of the other cool things we didn't really talk about, they do a set amount of damage, and you just roll defense for yourself. And that's where you're just looking for those success symbols. And then, as you were mentioning earlier, though, it's not really just hitting on a 5+, because it's hitting on a 5-plus with rerolls. Because you do have that sanity you can use to add rerolls anytime you want. So a lot of times, even though it's a 5-plus, it doesn't feel like a 5-plus, because you can reroll it a bunch of times. Yeah, so I I don't mind how Deep Madness does it at all. Now, what I will say feels outdated is anytime a game gives me a D20, (laughs) it is like, you hit on a 17 to 20. I'm like, no, I'm done already. (laughs) Get out of here. Yes. All right. So last one from Ken Changer is, do dungeon crawls need more depth, require more thought like Gloomhaven and apparently Street Masters, or is Movex roll a bunch of dice still acceptable? Oh, I, I love both. I will say Stuff Fables or Mice and Mystics or those kind of games, I'm more likely to play those with my son, but I still like that they exist. I don't always need to have like super complex dungeon crawlers, and sometimes it's nice just to be able to play something that takes half an hour or an hour and isn't too much of a brain burner. I totally agree with that. And uh, the one thing I will say is I think this game does a good job of combining the two. I think there's a lot of thoughtful tactical play, but you know what? There's still dice in the game, so sometimes it it turns up uh, aces and sometimes it turns out not so good. (laughs) 
All right. So we did have a question from Patrick as well. How often does dumb AI happen if they move away or if there are no effect on the game? How worth it is it to spawn them? So I will say um, I did a playthrough, a full playthrough of uh, the first mission on the One Stop Co-op Shop channel. And first of all, they don't have dumb AI. Like it's simple enough and they're always moving toward you that it works pretty well. What I like, though, is that you can close these doors between you and them, and you can, if they are equidistant, choose for them to go the path that goes through the door. But I think that's cool. Like, you've made the tactical choice to spend some actions to lock a door behind you, so you should be able to use it. But to the like kind of other part of the question, in my playthrough and in other games I've played of it, sometimes you do get so far ahead that you'll spawn monsters that, with the time left, just aren't going to matter. And, you know, I'd say if at that point, feel free not to spawn them. I think I did in my playthrough just to, like, follow the rules of the game. But, yes, I mean, there are instances very late game, but only very late game, where monsters just won't matter. And, sure, just feel free to not put them on the board and don't worry about it. Yeah, I still put them on the board anyway, but for me, that's a pro because if they all just spawned in front of you and were all getting in your way, it'd be way too many enemies. So for me, I like the fact that, you know, sometimes they're going to spawn on the other side of the board. And we didn't really exactly talk about how spawning works. So, but you're going through this deck in the same order every time. So after your first couple times through, you really know kind of how they're going to spawn. Now, I don't pay that much attention to exactly where they're going to spawn, but you kind of have an idea of, okay, this spot just spawned. It's not going to spawn again for a while. I do like that, and I do like that sometimes they'll spawn on the other side of the board because otherwise it would be too overwhelming. I think it spawns at just the right rate, and you're right. They never move away from you. They're always moving toward you, so they're not really that much dumb AI in it. Man, Peter, you're going from top five into like top eight or nine at this point. <laughs> and I've got more, actually... To, to talk about in my final thoughts. So, yeah, I told you. I, I had like 15 or 20 things for this game. All right, so, Mike, let's go into your final thoughts. I will say, first off, the positive. I think this game is great, incredibly tense, huge amounts of tactical thought. The miniatures look excellent. I'm not a miniature expert, but I really enjoyed, like, the uh, the components, mostly. I will say the tiles are a little bit dark. The cards can be slightly dark. We're not talking too many bones, like, difficult to see dark here, but, you know, things just look a little bit overly dark to let me appreciate the art sometimes, but that's a minor complaint. It's really not a big deal. But yeah, I think this game is really good. I was thinking, you know, before the review and while I was playing it, the other dungeon crawlers I've been playing most recently are Imperial Assault with the app and Gloomhaven. And I would say at the moment, I would rather play Deep Madness That does not mean that I think it's a better game than either of those, but it's nice, first of all, to just be able to do a one-off and not have kind of this hanging (laughs) pressure of Gloomhaven and its endless missions to finish. And Imperial Assault, a big complaint I have with the app is that I've bought so many expansions, which, you know, theoretically should be a good thing that makes the game more fun, but because the app pulls randomly from all your expansions to spawn enemies... I'll have to dig through these giant decks of enemy cards and, like, relearn new mechanics every time a new enemy comes out because there's such a huge variety, which, you know, is my own fault, I guess, for buying too many expansions. But why should I be punished for that? So I do really enjoy Deep Madness uh, just letting me have six monsters of varied types each time that change up the tactical feel for the game, but also keep things very contained. And like you were saying, don't force me to look up a lot of rules. So the fact that I can play this one-off, I love how hard it is. 
Uh, that'll go into my caveats in a second, but I, I personally love how challenging it is. I love that I had to play the first mission six times before I finally beat it. I think the game is really great. At the moment, it is the dungeon crawler I most want to play, which is saying a lot because especially Gloomhaven is a fantastic game and I would say a better design game, but I think this is a really, really strong design as well. Now, a few warnings that might kind of echo some of your thoughts, Peter. If you hate randomness, probably want to stay away. It is a big game, and I think it gets better with expansions, so if you don't want to spend some money on it, you should probably stay away. The theme can be very disturbing. The monsters are scary-looking. You have these madness cards with kind of horrific effects described on them, so if you're not into the horror theme, into the Cthulhu Mythos kind of theme, then you might not want to go here. And then finally, if you just don't want to deal with any fiddliness, there are fiddly devour tokens. There can be fiddly, like, moving lots of monsters. There can be a good number of special abilities to remember. And I guess actually one more final thing. <laughs> if you don't want to have a really hard game, definitely stay away from this. The designers, uh, when I talked to them, even said that this was sort of a Dark Souls-ish design on purpose. Like they want it to be very, very tough until you get really good at the game and know the missions well. And then you have a better chance of success. And at least in my experience, that's exactly how it works out. I enjoy it. Not everyone will. So huge recommend for me, but a lot of warnings that might make it not a great fit for you. All right, so my final thoughts. When you first pulled this game out and started setting it up, and then the first time you spawned, I thought my eyes were going to roll so far back in my head that I was going to pass out. <laughs> because I was like, really? This is how they spawn? Really? Every turn you're going to have to like devour another tile and put a bunch of guys in like three different spots, and you got to look at all these cards and like flip through the rooms and spawn one here and one there and two in that room and three in this room. And I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. And then we started playing, and I just had a blast with the game. So let me go over all the bad stuff first. And and a lot of these didn't make my top five. Huge setup time. Huge setup time. It still takes me half hour, 45 minutes to set up a game. Because you got to pull out all the map tiles, set them up in a certain way. You got to pull out all the monsters. Once you get their monster card out, you still have to pull those bags of monsters out. So we've got them bagged individually, but you still have to do that. Then you got to shuffle all the enemy cards together, do that. So there is quite a bit of setup time. At least I'm still having a long time with that. And I will interrupt for a second. If you have just the core game, they do come with nice holders for the miniatures that makes it faster. You don't have to pull them all out. You can just wait until they spawn and then pull them out of the nice holders. But yeah, with so many expansions, we had to bag ours. So it's it's not as bad if you're just playing with the core game. Okay. The one thing I will say that's nice about the expansions, though, is it's super easy to implement. I mean, they're literally just more monsters and more heroes. And... I will say from what I've played, the heroes seem to be better and the monsters seem to be not as hard. So it brings the difficulty back, I think, a little (laughs) bit, which is probably a pro for some people. But as I mentioned earlier, there's lots of luck in the game. The game is super hard when you first play it, especially if you're playing with the Devourer tokens. There's lots of reading. If you look at the monster cards at first, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? They're easy to deal with. No, they're not. Like, there's a ton of text on them. Uh, There's a fixed number of characters, which I typically hate. So we got to play with six characters, even if we're playing with, you know, one person, two players, three players. That drives me nuts most of the time. Like I said, the spawning I was looking at, I was like, this is crazy. There's no leveling between the missions. As you said, it's not a campaign game. I usually love leveling between missions. I'm looking at all this. I'm like, this is a game I should absolutely hate. Absolutely hate. Guess what? It might be my favorite dungeon crawl of all time. I mean, it was funny. I thought I was going to sound crazy for comparing it to Gloomhaven and saying I'd rather play this any day of the week over Gloomhaven, but I would. 
I don't know what it is. It's just super fun. There's a huge tactical puzzle here every time you play it. And the game scales, as I was saying earlier. I love the way it scales. Yes, there's a lot of stuff you could read at the beginning of the game, but I never do. I'm like, we'll find out what that monster does when it spawns or when it's near us. I'm not going to worry about it for now. So I love how you can do that. Every monster feels very different with super simple, straightforward AI. Talk about comparing this to Imperial Assault, where they're moving forward, doing something, they're acting. Every turn they act differently. Apparently, I just don't want that. I want super straightforward enemy AI, and that way I can solve the puzzle. I think because of how simple it is, and don't get me wrong, there's complexity to it, but it's pretty straightforward what the enemies are going to do. And because of that, it lets you puzzle out what you want to do. And for me, more than a lot of other dungeon crawls, I can figure out what I want to do ahead of time. Now that luck's going to come in and it's going to change exactly what happens, but you can still puzzle it out. And I, I really like that part of the game. A couple of things, though. I do play with just a couple of house rules. Like I said, I never play with the Devour tokens. They're small. They're fiddly. You can't see what they are. You have to look across the board. What's that one again? I think they add a level to the puzzle that I just don't want in my games. And they make the game super hard. And I know you like that. I don't. I like my co-ops easier. Not easy, easy. I'm winning 100% of the time. But I don't want to lose 75, 80% of the time. I know that's hard for some to believe that we created Salvation Road. And I'm saying this. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't want to lose that much when I'm playing the game. So, for me, I like the fact that I can scale back the difficulty very easily by removing rules from the game. So, by removing these Devourer tokens, it actually makes the game less fiddly, less annoying, and brings the difficulty to the place I want. The other thing I would say is, if you're first playing the game, it is not a monster-killing game. It is a moving forward and completing your objective game. There are some games, like Flashpoint, where you're like, I can just put out all the fires, and then I'll get to saving the people later. This is not that kind of game. You are going to have to run. You are against the clock all the time. Keep pushing yourself forward. So just know that going in. And then the third thing I do, like I said, I haven't even done this with Mike yet, but I will alternate characters just to make sure that I'm getting a turn, then you get a turn, then the next person that comes back to me. Because if you just do it randomly where you deal the characters out, you could have two turns in a row and then not have a turn forever. So I just like dealing those out. So my my two variants I add to the game are spacing your characters out so everybody kind of has their turn spaced out and removing the devour tokens. But beside that, I play it out of the box and I think it's great. I think it's an amazing dungeon crawl. I think you're right. I think Gloomhaven's probably a better design game, but I don't know if it's the confusion with the story, the open worldness of it, the slow leveling of it. I don't know what it is, but this game, I want to play more than that one. So that's my two cents. Well, internet, get ready to flame Peter. Although I guess I also said I want to play it more, so you can flame us both. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'll get back into a Gloomhaven groove and... Nothing beats the persistence of your character in Gloomhaven in terms of, like, that campaign setting. So I love, love, love that. But for now, kind of the change-up of just playing one mission at a time and then being done and putting the game away and not worrying about it, I really do appreciate. Absolutely. All right, so let's get into our design discussion. Yeah, so we're going to talk about mainly dungeon crawlers, although I guess it kind of pulls in any game with a tactical board that you're maneuvering on. But kind of like different choices games can make with their boards and some things we like and some things we don't like. And we're going to get into not only gameplay, but also setup and ways of organizing and labeling them. So why don't we start with that one, Peter? What do you think? 
What do you think are some good suggestions for like organization and labeling of uh, a game that has a lot of tiles and maps like a dungeon crawler? Well, speaking of this game versus Gloomhaven, the labeling system on Gloomhaven, I still don't understand to this day. They're just a random combination of letters and numbers, and there's no easy way in my mind to organize those, and it's just... Very confusing. In this game here, they're numbered, literally the tiles are numbered 1 to 30. And it tells you what tiles you need for each map. On this one, you need 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. You know, you just can easily look through the stack and pick them out. Uh, Even in games like Mansions of Madness. I like that game a lot, but they have different naming conventions. So everything is like the alley or the alley with a corner or... And you have to look it up every time, and it just drives me crazy. I don't know why everybody doesn't just number their tiles, one through whatever. You add more tiles, you keep adding to the end of the list. You know, you can sort them in order, you keep them in order. It just makes so much more sense to me to number tiles than to name them or to have some weird lettering and numbering system. doesn't make sense to me. Now, Deep Madness does have an advantage in that it's just one by two tiles and two by two tiles, and that's it. So something like Imperial Assault, which also has a numbering system, but then it's like has an icon for each expansion that it's from. That gets a lot more complicated because you have like very, very small things to very, very huge tiles within each expansion. So if you just like number them off one to 200 or something and tried to put those in order, you'd get these really like weird mismatched piles of things. But yeah, I agree with Peter that Gloomhaven, <laughs> Gloomhaven is a special sticking point for me. Because while I understand and, you know, respect that Isaac wanted to have, like, different colored background colors to the uh, tiles for, you know, when you're in a volcano as opposed to an icy place, as opposed to a dark cave, it has no gameplay effect. It's something I don't even notice after playing for, like, 30 seconds. But it it forces him to have way more tiles and double-sided tiles with different colors on the sides when really there's, like, nothing on the tiles, there's no terrain, there's nothing, like, that really matters. All that matters is the shape and, like, where the door entries come in. And, he, you know, Gloomhaven could easily have, gosh, I don't know, a fourth as many tiles as it does and just have more of a generic color palette. And it would be the exact same game but would take away some of that annoying setup time. Well, and with that said, too, what I really like is when stuff is printed on the board or at least it's printed where I should put things. So, for example, getting back to Gloomhaven, I don't mean to pick on it this whole time, but, you know, you put terrain and things down on the board. I know it would be hard to pre-print it on that because they're using the same maps for a lot of different things. But even if they had the same number of maps, as you said earlier, instead of doing different colors, if they just pre-printed the terrain on certain map tiles, that would make it so much easier. There's another game I love, Arcadia Quest, where, man, you just have so many tile overlays that it takes forever to set up. And actually, when they made Starcadia Quest, that's one thing that they focused on reducing is the amount of overlays you're putting on the tiles. So I think Deep Madness, I think even Zombicide does a good job of not having a million overlays you're putting on the tile. Yeah, and you do run into some problems here, like depending on how expansive your game is. Because, you know, on the one side you have the games that have really specific art on them. You don't have to put anything extra almost at all. You know, I'd put, like, Descent and Imperial Assault in there. Like, you have some pretty cool things. Like, here's a map tile with a bridge and a chasm. Here's a map tile with, like, fire in the corners. It's thematic. It often actually has gameplay implications. 
and that's really great, you know, and then compare that to something like Gloomhaven, where it's just like a blank board, and you got to put a ton of overlays over it. But the thing is, for Gloomhaven to have 90 whatever scenarios it is, and still, and not, you know, they already have a lot of tiles, hell, they, they might need to have like 10 times as many tiles if they wanted to make them more unique. So you get like the expandability of the tiles, and Isaac can make 10 new scenarios tomorrow, and you can play them with everything in the game, and it won't feel like you're on the exact same maps you always are. With Imperial Assault and games that like have more distinctive tiles, you either get a real feeling of sameness because if you use the same tile, like if you use the same blank tile and put stuff on it, it feels unique. If you use the same hallway tile with a bathroom in the corner, it feels like the same tile every time. But then additionally, if you have like more unique tiles with more distinctive stuff on them and you want to have the maps be more distinct each time, then you get into the thing where you have like thousands of tiles as you keep on adding expansions. So I think there's no perfect solution because I think you either run into kind of a lack of theme and like having more setup time, having to put overlays on things, or you run into either sameness of tiles because you see the same unique one over and over again, or just tons and tons of tiles to try to keep the variety there. Well, and one thing we're trying to do with spare parts is have different entrances because sometimes even that'll make a difference. So the hazards will be in the same places. The enemies spawn in the same places. You know, the good stuff will spawn in the same places. But first of all, they're not always going to spawn in the same place every time. And not only that, but if you come in from a different angle on the board, I think the maps feel very different, even though they're laid out exactly the same each time, just because of how you're entering and maybe there's a bunch of stuff right where you enter or maybe there's a little area where you're gonna have to walk first before you get to things or you know maybe you go through it backwards and there's something in the lower corner so i think there is a way to have more of a fixed map and either have different entry points and or just make sure you're spawning different things on it each time not just enemy variety but also like making the mission do something different even if the terrain is laid out the same now, I do want to say we're kind of doing a uh, apples to oranges comparison here because Deep Madness is an area movement game. Again, like the most a tile will have is five distinct rooms or spaces, but often like the majority of them only have two rooms on the entire tile. Yep. And another game that does that that I think has great map tiles and is really easy to play is Gears of War, which has a bit of a similar feel and look to Deep Madness. Yes, yeah, so, so both Gears of War and Deep Madness have this really clean, simple area movement. Sword and Sorcery, while it did have a lot of tiles, it didn't have an insurmountable number, and they were pretty unique in that, like, this is the marketplace, and it always looks like a marketplace, so they had some kind of cool things there. But again, they had area movement, so it made it simpler. You don't need as many tiles. The uh, game is not about huge movement in each given turn. So I think there's a big difference between area movement and something like Gloomhaven, like the game we're designing spare parts, where it's a hex-based map or square-based map or whatever have you, and you sort of have to have more nuance there because on an area-based movement thing, the tactics become very different. You know, it's often about, like, controlling and holding monsters and that kind of thing. With hex-based, it's so stale to, like, move five spaces that you need to have more tactical considerations. And oftentimes that comes from terrain. And to get the terrain on there, you might need to, you know, either have it printed, lowering your variability, or 
have a lot of setup time. So I do think there's kind of two distinct types of movement and like maps in games, and uh, they do have kind of different needs and also have different advantages. I mean, it's funny because I, I did complain about Deep Madness is the heavy setup time, and a lot of it doesn't have to do with the map. The map itself, you're right. Most of the tiles are just two-room tiles. The difference is really where the doors are placed on them. Setting up the map is pretty quick. It's all the other little stuff you have to do. It's not to the level of Sword and Sorcery, which is another area movement game with a big enemy deck that you have to set up each time. So actually, I think it's probably comparable to that as far as setup. Even though both are area movement games, which you would think, because you're not setting up the map, wouldn't take as long, you still have a lot of other stuff to set up as well. So I think that's something these two games did right, because if they had a complicated map setup and complicated enemy setup, it would take even longer. Now, I would love to see more creativity in tackling this, and we have seen a lot. As an example, a game that both of us really enjoy the design of is Assault on Doomrock, and that is a very, very tactical miniature, well, they're, they're little tokens, but a very tactical combat game where you have these big encounters with monsters and bosses, but it has no board whatsoever. Everything is based on being close or far away from monsters, and you kind of have like these little groups that form. I think that design is genius, and I, I still really enjoy it. So clearly we have a lot of card games that try to sort of emulate using a board, but I would love to see things like that where people play with the idea of like kind of an adventure game and tactical combat, but somehow cut out the board or map entirely. Yeah, you're right. That one does a great job of doing it. And I mean, Street Masters does a good job too, because it's just one board. And so when you set it up, yeah, you might have to put a couple tokens down, but as you pointed out in that review... The game is so quick to set up because you're literally just putting out the board, shuffling up some cards and going. So they do a good job of not having almost any setup time at all there. And they go with the each map board is different. So there's unique art on each one. And well, I guess the way they do the variability there is the enemy deck is different every time. So the stage deck will play out similarly, but you'll be fighting against a different enemy. And because different enemies force you to do different things they still have and maintain their variability. So you can have a static board and change variability just by changing up the enemies on the board. Yeah, another one I'll call out, I did a five and five on this, but we haven't reviewed it on the podcast yet. And that's Stuffed Fables. And they do something that I love, which is they don't have any tiles at all. You have this big spiral bound booklet And you open to a page for each fight you have. And like Street Masters, it's just one square map. And that's all you do for that entire particular encounter. And then the right side has all these special rules for that map. So you've got everything you need in a single spread of a book. And I think, again, that's like a very out-of-the-box way to do things that is not like any other Tactical Miniatures games I've played. But it allows them, in this case, because it's just pages of a book and they don't need to have, like, these tiles, it has incredibly diverse art and very unique terrain and things. And you have to set up basically nothing. You just put, like, a few tokens on the board and you're good to go. So I would love to see more games play with that. Like, I don't know. I would guess that a big, beautiful, spiral-bound book like that is more expensive than several sheets of cardboard tiles. So it's probably not feasible for the average company to just kind of repeat that sort of thing. But again, it's like a really nice out-of-the-box way to handle this question that still gives you really unique maps, but with basically no setup time and with a ton of variety from, uh, from game to game. 
Yeah, so, I mean, that's a lot of different options there for doing maps. And I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I would say, well, except don't number your things stupidly. Yeah, don't label your things so I literally <laughs> can't find what I need. That's the the only thing that ever bothers me is when they're labeled wrong. I think Deep Madness also does it right because I think the numbers are in two of the four corners. So it's pretty easy no matter how the map is laid to find it. Yeah, don't name your stuff like they do in Mansions of Madness. Don't number your stuff weirdly like they do in Gloomhaven. Outside of that, I I love the creativity that people are doing with maps. You know, I'd prefer not to put stuff down on the map every time. I wish it was already pre-printed, but I do understand the limitations of that as well. So I'm not saying don't do it one way or another, but make sure your numbering system's at least easy. I mean, that's you shouldn't get that wrong. That's That's pretty simple to do. All right. Thank you all so much for hanging out for both our deep dive of Deep Madness. <laughs> deep dive, Deep Madness. There we go. And also our design discussion of boards. Absolutely. And thanks for joining us. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Have a great spooky Halloween, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-op Cast, your one stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop. And follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Now, you have to look at them to see if there's something that happens during setup. And that's the nice part, and we'll get to that in a little bit, actually. So I'm going to skip that. (laughs) Dang it. Too many good things to say. And another game that does that that I think has great map tiles and is really easy to play is Gears of War, which has a bit of a similar feel and look to Deep Madness. Now we're talking the original Gears of War. Wait, there's another Gears of War? Didn't they remake it? Oh, that was Doom they remade. Yeah, yeah, that's a different game. Never mind. All right, (laughs) cut. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Boo. Uh, Ah.